0: Welcome to Cavalier Central, bringing you everything you need to know about the wine and gold.
1: Hey hoopheads! we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. HOOPHEADS Nation, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Cavalier Central with Justin Matcham. We also have four other team-focused NBA podcasts, including Knuck a Few Buck, Grizz and Grind, 305 Culture, Hashtag Lakers, and Blazing the Path. Be sure to check out these other basketball pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network too, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, and Bleachers and Boards. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game from grassroots to the NBA.
0: everybody, welcome back. I'm your host, Justin Matcham. Joining me today, very special guest, Chris Fedor. Chris, to anybody who may not know who you are, if you just want to give your bio real quick.
2: Sure, yeah, I appreciate you having me, Justin. Um, I'm the lead Cavs beat reporter for Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I also do some uh, part-time hosting over at 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. Um, that's about it, I guess, for now.
0: <laughs> well, I'm, I'm super excited to have you on today. Um, Chris recently wrote an article where he kind of broke down his five best options for the fifth overall pick for the Cavs in this draft so we will go over some of those other options and then we'll have some other stuff after that but we'll start with the number one option that you had in your article which is trading down from the pick which is something that we've discussed a little bit on this podcast um some of the suggested teams were knicks wizards Suns, and celtics um was there any one trade that you had in mind that stuck out to you in particular
2: Well, the Knicks make a lot of sense to me
0: just because they're sitting at number eight and everybody
2: knows it's the worst-kept secret in the NBA that they're on the hunt for a point guard this offseason. Now, there is some belief that they're going to try and get involved in the Chris Paul sweepstakes, but if they don't have what it takes in order to get CP3 from Oklahoma City or if Oklahoma City isn't going to trade CP3 right away, um, then maybe the Knicks turn their attention to a point guard in the draft. The problem is, Justin, they're sitting at number eight And there are a number of teams in front of them that could also be eyeing a point guard. Detroit is a team that's looking for a point guard. They're probably going to be involved in Fred Van Vliet this offseason, but if they don't get him, maybe they look at Killian Hayes. Maybe they look at Tyrese Halliburton. Um, A lot of people believe the Chicago Bulls want a playmaker at four. Emphasis on playmaker because Denny Avdia could fit that category of playmaker, but If not him, maybe Killian Hayes, maybe LaMelo Ball if LaMelo falls um, further than what people expect at this point in time. So I just think the Knicks with their second first round pick and how much they want a point guard and where they're slotted, I think they make a lot of sense in a situation where either LaMelo falls or they start to get a little bit antsy um, about some of the point guards coming off the
0: board. I know you had mentioned um, Kevin Knox and Ignas Brazdeikis as a couple of players who may be available, who probably would be available in a trade up situation. Um, w- would that be enough for the Cavaliers? Um, Knox is maybe someone that are a little bit higher than Brazdeikis. I know you know he, he's kind of an unproven guy as well. But um, would somebody like that be enough to convince the Cavs to trade down, even if it is just a few spots?
2: My guess is the 27th pick would probably have to be involved as well. So late first Um, as well? Okay. Yeah, and I think the Cavs would be open to that sort of thing because, Justin, they would only move back three spots, and they've done so much homework on this year's draft class. I was talking to a couple of executives around the NBA, and they brought up a good point. You know, given the way that things have turned out here, um, March Madness didn't happen. Conference tournaments didn't happen in college basketball. And oftentimes the teams that are later in the start of the pre-draft process, um, they wait until the conference tournaments in March Madness to really do their in-person scouting. Now, they've probably done a little bit here or there, uh, but the bulk of it comes around that time. Um, The Cavs have been out on the road scouting these guys in person since September, last September. so, because of that, there are people in the league that feel like um, they are so well positioned for this year's draft, and they're so ahead of some of the other teams that even if they even if they had a pick between twenty and thirty, like not every team will have seen that player in person. Chances are, because of the homework that the Cavs have done and all of the scouting that the Cavs have done, they will have seen that that player in person and they would be uh, more interested maybe than some other teams to take a pick in that particular range and be comfortable about making a pick in that range.
0: Is there anyone that stands out to you in particular in that kind of late first round range that could be available there? No, not really. Just
2: given some of the needs that they have, it's hard to, it's hard to gauge, right? Like who's going to be available between 25 and 30. Like, Last year, Justin, did anybody think... So people thought Kevin Porter Jr. would slide on draft night. Did they think he would slide all the the way way to to 30? 30? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know about that one. Like, look, one of the most polarizing guys in this year's class um, is becoming Tyrese Maxey. He could go end of lottery, or he could fall all the way to where we're talking about like that could be the range Um, but look if the Cavs get somewhere in the back half of the first round um, I I think their needs and their wants would probably remain the same and then you're talking about Jaden McDaniels from Washington taking a swing on somebody with that kind of upside who didn't really have a good season at Washington you know he came in with a lot of hype a lot of praise And that would be a pure talent grab for a team like the Cavs if they were to acquire that pick from the Knicks. Um, You know, somebody like Leandro Balmaro, uh, he's playing overseas. Maybe he's a draft and stash type guy so that the Cavs acquire his rights. um, But they don't have to do anything specific with their roster in order to have him in their program. Like those kinds of guys, I think, would make a lot of sense, you know. Zeke Nagy, somebody else, he would probably make some sense. He's starting to rise. He's a 6'11", 240-pound you know, forward slash center who is now starting um, to expand his game out to the perimeter. If the Cavs don't get somebody like that with the fifth pick, maybe that guy comes in range. But but I can tell you that they will be fully prepared. You know, If they trade down, if they do pick up an extra first-round pick, they are fully prepared for this year's class.
0: Well it's a good thing to hear. Um, we'll move on to a couple of other teams here. Uh, looking at the Wizards in particular, they have guys maybe like Jerome Robinson and Isak Bonga who are you know, maybe pieces that are obviously expendable on their end. Troy Brown Jr. is another one that, you know, you had mentioned, I think. That is a piece that, you know, I, I don't know. It's kind of been a weird time for him in, in Washington. He finally got the chance to really play some meaningful minutes this year. Kind of just a a versatile forward, kind of just a, a do everything type of player. Um do you think that the Wizards are even looking to move on from him? I don't know. I mean, obviously, if they have somebody that they really like, who, who would the Wizards, do you think, is there anybody that they would be targeting that heavily to where they would be willing to give up someone like Troy Brown? To me, three players come to
2: mind, Justin. Again, if LaMelo falls, I think a lot of teams are going to be um, trying to move up from him, uh, for, for sure him Because, like, the talent is just too much. Like, there's a lot that you have to worry about, and he's polarizing. Um, and, and he's a little bit more risky than, than some of these other guys. Um, like the thing about this class is you can talk yourself into and out of any prospect, but, but I think guys that are falling in the safer category because of, um, all of the intel, all of the background, the controllables is what the Cavs usually call them. Uh, Lamelo doesn't fall into that category, right? Obi Toppin falls into that category. Tyrese Halliburton falls into that category. Isaac Okoro, where you don't have those same kinds of concerns. Denny Avdia falls into that category. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see um, how many teams lean in that direction, especially in this kind of draft, with this class, and given the way that the pre-draft process went. Uh, some teams may be more willing to take a risk, but because of those those reasons, like LaMelo could slide. It is a possibility that he slides, especially given the teams that are drafting one through four and the needs that they have. Um, so if LaMelo falls, teams are going to be calling, starting probably with Chicago at number four and seeing if they can move up. And I think Washington would consider him, given the situation with John Wall and all of the uncertainty surrounding him coming off an Achilles injury. I think Onyeka Kongwu would be interesting for a team like Washington, uh, somebody who can get up, up and down the floor and transition, play fast, uh, give them more of an interior defensive presence. Um, and for a team that finished second worst in defensive rating this past year, he checks a lot of boxes for them. And if they see a huge gap, Justin, between Isaac Okoro and Devin Vassell, and they feel like Okoro's not going to be there at number 9, and there's such a big drop-off from Okoro to Vassell, maybe they try and move up in front of Atlanta, who could be eyeing another wing to complement Trey Young.
0: Interesting. Well, we'll move on to one final trade here, the Celtics one, which was one that I found interesting in particular. We've talked a lot about different Drummond trades on this podcast, a lot of them including Gordon Hayward. This is one that I have not really considered as much, being the number 14 pick and the number 26 pick, along with Gordon Hayward and Robert Williams, the Time Lord, for the number five overall pick and Drummond and filler being, whether that's a Bell or a McKinney or whoever else. This is something that I, again, I hadn't really thought of from Cleveland's end. I really, really like it. Um, You're picking up two... Firsts, one being a mid first rounder, you're getting a playable center in Robert Williams, you know, we don't, it's yet to be seen what his, his, his ceiling is, but he's definitely a rotational center, especially on a team like Cleveland. And you get Hayward, who's another versatile player, you know, who fills a need on the wing. I think that that is a, a haul for Cleveland for a number five pick, which again, you know, you have, it does hold value in a draft like this. And, Drummond, who I, I couldn't tell you exactly what his value is right now. Um, what is the thinking here for Boston so much? Just getting off of these picks, opening up some roster spots. Um, how do you like the, the fit of, of Hayward versus Drummond for Boston?
2: So I think there are three things when it comes to Boston. Uh, number one, they have three first round picks. There is not a single person in the NBA that feels like their roster can bring on three guys. So because of that, a lot of people feel like, and because of Danny Ainge's history, a lot of people feel like they're going to be aggressive in trying to package those and move up as far as they can. Now it's complicated because the first of those three picks is 14. So if you're trying to get into, let's say, the top five, five with the Cavs, like that's a big jump. That's nine spots that you have to go up. It's going to be costly in order to do that. Um, The other thing is they have a roster crunch. They have maybe one available roster spot. That's it. Uh, And they also have a cap crunch in terms of where their salary cap is going into next offseason. And I think they want to be proactive in trying to figure that out um, before it's too late and before they have to start making some salary-cutting moves. Uh, They also have an extension coming in the future with Jason Tatum. They have to figure out what they're going to do with him. Uh, They have to figure out what they're going to do about Daniel Tice. So there are just a lot of decisions that that the Celtics have to make. And when you combine that with a roster crunch and a cap crunch, it's just hard to see that kind of team just staying exactly where they are this offseason. I think they are – by reputation, one of the most aggressive front offices that we have in the NBA, um, and they have enough ammunition to try and go out and make some of those kinds of moves.
0: How do you like the the Drummond fit for them compared to Hayward? You know, there's been a lot of talk of you know what what a deal like that would look like. Do you think that obviously, uh, you know, a lot of it has been made of you know Boston's center situation? You can yep. say what you want about it; it's not the worst in the world. Drummond obviously helps there, um, but how do you think Boston views Drummond versus Hayward as just as far as a value between those two pieces?
2: I think based on their history they probably value Hayward more because they like those kinds of wing players, versatile wing players, um guys that are interchangeable when it comes to 2 through 4. Um I think they like the fact that Hayward can play four in a small ball lineup and one of their more effective lineups did have him in it. Um but he's pricey. He's got an injury history. And they've got other guys that can fill that spot if they don't have somebody like Hayward. Whereas when it comes to Drummond, um, I think he would be a really good fit in part because they got crushed by Bam Adebayo in the postseason. And that's the kind of guy, if you look at Boston's roster um, and you try and make an assessment of what they could be missing going forward, like, there's not a lot. It's a really, really good roster. It's really well coached. They do a great job with player development but if it's about trying to take that next step and you have to have an honest evaluation of who you are and where you can go the weak spot for boston is inside you know ennis Cantor can't really play big time minutes in the postseason because he's a defensive liability daniel tice has been a really really good find for boston but he can't hang with some of the bigger guys um And if you look at some of the teams that they're going to have to compete with in order to chase a championship, um, and if they get to the NBA Finals with the the Los Angeles Lakers lurking, they're going to need size. They're going to need bulk. They're going to need rebounding. Um, I don't think Drummond is a great defensive player. I think his reputation doesn't match what he actually brings to the court. But they need size, and they need rebounding, and and Drummond gives them that. And if they lost Gordon Hayward, they still have, say, Semi Ogilvy or whoever it is they take with the 14th pick, right? Or they could shift around Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Um, They just don't have enough size. And and if it's not Drummond, I absolutely think the Celtics are going to be on the lookout for for somebody to help on the interior this offseason.
0: Those are all really good points. And I was thinking, you know, before thinking about this trade, you know, what I was thinking is maybe probably Drummond would get dealt most likely, let's say, at the deadline next season. Hayward obviously is somebody who has an injury history. If, say, he's hurt with an ex- another extended injury at the deadline, maybe that's a move that they look at then just to basically send Hayward to Cleveland and just get Drummond just to get as much value as you can because I don't really expect – the Celtics to re-sign Hayward or Drummond whoever they were to end up with just because again you said they they are in a cap crunch um, they still have Kemba Walker's book deal on the books they're going to have to probably give Tatum an MX extension but this is a trade that again I really really I really like because again it it works for both sides being that it fills a need for Boston and it also gives them a little bit of flexibility just as far well not I mean flexibility just breathing space both financially and with, with, you know, roster spots. Again, they, they have Tremont Waters, who they'd probably want to promote to a full-time roster spot. They have, you know, obviously all these picks. So that was something that I really liked and I think is interesting for both sides. Um, as far as the Cavaliers moving down, again, I still think you can get a good wing at number 14, whether it's a Sadiq Bey or a Aaron Nesmith or whoever else right. they are interested at that spot. So and, overall, and yeah. Think, that, you know, to now.
2: your point, Justin, I, I think that's a lot about why I, I think that makes a lot of sense for the Cavs at number five. Um, because from what I know, their are second tier of prospects. There's a top tier in this class, and then there's a second tier. Um, and I feel like it's kind of different for every team. There might be a team out there that honestly feels like Obi Toppin belongs in the top tier, right? Or maybe there's a team out there that feels like Big O from USC belongs in the top tier. But, but I think for a majority of these teams, the top tier is, in some order, Anthony Edwards, uh, LaMelo Ball, and James Wiseman, just based on pure talent and upside. Uh, and then the, the second tier is clustered. Like From what I know, the, the Cavs' second tier features six or seven different guys. It could even extend further than that because Patrick Williams from Florida State is one of the fastest risers in this year's class, and he might find himself – in that particular tier as well. So if you have all of those different guys in that second tier, and you're having a hard time separating them because you feel like they're very, very similar, like one way to to mitigate that problem is to allow everybody else to make that decision for you, and then you take what's left. In some ways, I feel like it's very similar to last year. You know, going into Uh, a few days before the draft, it seemed like the Cavs were going to take DeAndre Hunter. That was going to be their guy. Um, And then all of a sudden, a team traded with New Orleans to move in front of the Cavs, Atlanta, and, and took him. And then the decision for the Cavs between Hunter, Garland, and let's say Jarrett Culver was essentially made for them, right? Because a team moved in front of them and took one of those guys away from them. And if that If the Cavs were to trade down and that happened again, they would still be picking from that second tier of guys. It's just that cluster uh, would be a little bit more clear, and they wouldn't have to make those decisions themselves. I'm not saying that that's their priority. I'm not saying that they don't want to make that decision. They They would be fine making that decision. But if they can add an asset or two and still get one of those guys from the clustered tier two, I think it makes all the sense of the world.
0: Yeah, it absolutely does. Again, you're you're picking up Robert Williams and uh, another late first and Hayward, who might have some value at the deadline. You know, you never know. So I I think that absolutely makes sense. Um, Again, this. Draft. I mean, it's not top heavy, but it is it, it, that second tier of guys. I think you know is a wide net, and I think that those are contributing guys on any team. So, yeah, I, I really like that trade. We'll get into some prospects now. Some guys in that second tier, starting with your number two option, number one prospect, six six kind of guard forward from Auburn, Isaac Okoro. My personal favorite for the Cavs in this draft, again, outside of that top three. Um, just the perfect fit, I, I feel like, on the wing for the Cavs. Somebody who just brings toughness in defense. Obviously, we know you know the, the limitations on his shot. But really someone I view as somebody who can do everything else on offense. You know, he's somebody who's going to move the ball, who doesn't demand the ball, which is important for a team like this, I feel like. And again, just brings such a desperately needed defensive presence, both on and off the ball, a heady player. Um, how, how do you f- – I guess – what, what are your opening thoughts on him and, um you know, just his fit? I
2: think he is the perfect match for the Cavs. It's, it's almost too perfect, honestly. Like, the way that everything worked out, them not getting a top three pick, saving themselves from themselves in terms of what they probably would have taken if they would have landed top three. Like, if you look at the roster composition for the Cavs, Justin, they need defense and they need wings. So why not pick up a wing (laughs) defender? (laughs) It's like, it's it's that simple and complicated all at the same time because there are probably other guys in the second tier that the Cavs really like and they could make an argument for. Like I said, you can talk yourself into and out of any of these guys. For all the things that you like about Isaac Okoro, somebody could say, yeah, but his outside shot. Yeah, but he shot 28% from three-point range. Yeah, but he's only a 67% free-throw shooter and free-throw shooting usually um, gives you some kind of indication about how much better they can get as a natural shooter so um, people can say all those things about isaac just like you can say him about akongwu and tyrese halliburton and devin vassell and any of these guys it's a complicated draft but the Cavs need defense and they need wings and he is the best wing defender in this year's class and on top of that i think you make a good point justin like, is his shot problematic? Sure, especially if you look at the numbers. But that doesn't mean he can't do other things for you offensively where he becomes an offensive liability. I, I think if you are labeling him that based on his bad shot, I think you're taking a little bit too far and you're overlooking all of the great things that he can bring to this organization.
0: Obviously, the Cavs have a little bit of history and, you know, working on, you know, a young player's shot, whether right. it is a Colin Sexton or a KPJ. Do you buy the potential of him You know, maybe adding at least a respectable jump shot at some point?
2: So I do, simply
0: because all of the people, the smart people that I've tried
2: to talk to during this time about Isaac, the ones that would know better than me, uh, say that it is a correctable flaw, that his footwork needs work, um, that, that his guide hand uh, sometimes gets a little bit too high on the release. Like to me, that doesn't seem like a broken shot. It's not like Michael Kidd Gilchrist where he's got this funky hitch, right? (laughs) Or it's not like LaMelo Ball where he essentially shoots it with two hands, which is really, really weird. Um, Everything that I have heard leads me to believe that it is correctable. On top of that, everybody that I've talked to about Isaac that know him well say that he's a really hard worker and all he cares about, in no particular order, God, basketball, and family. So... If you have somebody who's willing to work at it and loves basketball for basketball and not the things that come with basketball, those are the ones that you're willing to invest in. Like, those are the ones that you're, you're willing to bet on. Um, so I'd be willing to bet on him and hope that he becomes, you know, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart level shooter in the NBA. Neither of those guys could really shoot coming out of college, but they were such good kids And they worked so hard and they had mechanics that didn't need like a huge overhaul. So when you have that, I think that's worth betting on.
0: Where do you think he would fit into their day one rotation? Um, You know, alongside maybe Windler and Jetty at that small forward spot. Do you think he could be a day one starter? So I think he has the game to do
2: that. And I think they need the things that he brings, um, especially the winning intangibles. You know, everybody that I've talked to f- with, with Auburn from Team USA, where he played, um, from his high school, they all compare him to Marcus Smart because of the winning intangibles, because he contributes to winning. There aren't enough players on this roster for the Cavs that contribute to winning. Now look, part of that is the situation that they're in. The other part of that is they're so young that it's hard for young guys to contribute to winning. But, but Isaac does so many of the little things that help you win, and the Cavs don't have enough of those guys. So I think an argument can be made to start him from day one because you need all those things. At the same time, like I think given the way that everything is progressing this offseason and when the season is looking like it's going to start, it's really, really hard to have somebody drafted November 18th and then only have a month – to transition to the team before making his NBA (laughs) debut. So I would lean then towards uh, Jetty Osman and the experience that he has um, and and just, I guess, the fact that he's done it in the NBA in a way that Dylan hasn't and Isaac Okoro hasn't to this point.
0: And that's a very good point. I mean, maybe in a normal year it's a different conversation, but this year they might just want to go with – Somebody that they know what they're gonna get out of, so
2: Yeah, even I, if it's I, not I, great, and I think a lot of people yeah. I think a lot of people in the organization would admit that, you know, Jetty Osman in a perfect situation is not a starter at small forward in the league. Um but but this isn't a perfect situation and they don't have a good enough options immediately, I would say, um, to shove him out of there.
0: All right, well, we'll move on to your next prospect here on the list. Coming in at number two for the prospects is 6'9", forward, center. Probably natural position moving forward, more of center. Out of USC that we talked about a little bit already, Onyeka Okonwu. Um One thing that I saw from, I think, Jeff Nomina on Twitter was that since the 2015 NBA Finals, each Finals has included Tristan Thompson, Draymond Green, Siakam, Anthony Davis, Bam Adebayo, one of those guys at least. Yeah. Now, obviously, those are all very, very different players, but they all kind of fit the same mold, and it seems like Okongwu could be the next guy who fits into that mold. Um, obviously, another guy who is just a very, very versatile player, um, can 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 switch for a big, which is very important, especially yeah. in the playoffs now. At the same time, is when you're looking at Okongwu as a player, Um, is he hyped up as much as he is because of, you know, what he brings you, or is it because of what guys before him have brought and they just see somebody who might be the same guy?
2: Yeah. So I think Justin's a little bit of both, right? Like, I think part of it is the success that Bam has had. Part of it is the success, um, that some of these other guys like him have had, but the other part of it is he was really good as a freshman for USC Right? He was first in the Pac-12 in put-back scoring. He was second in post-up scoring. He was third in scoring as a role man. He averaged uh, 2.7 blocks. Right, He was a walking double-double. Um, he helped USC win. I think that's important. So what he is right now, I think f- people probably feel pretty good about. He can finish. He can use his athleticism to switch, like you said. He can block shots. He can rebound. He can run the floor. Um, All of those things are needed to help you win games consistently. All of those things the Cavs need, to be honest with you. Um, And I think it's, yes, he's that which helps right now, but in the future, we feel like there's a potential there for him to be more. And I think that more attached to what he already brings um, gives a lot of teams a sense of, yes, he could be that next um, modern day big with the switchability and the versatility that everybody is looking for.
0: Looking at his fit alongside somebody who will likely be on the Cavaliers roster opening day, Andre Drummond, do you think that that's somebody who he could play along for extended periods of time?
2: I got to be honest, I don't think it matters, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't I, I don't think that that would enter the conversation that that much um, because the Cavs have not shown that they care all that much at this stage of the rebuild about fit. And I think part of it has to do with um, where they are in this rebuild. But I think the other part of it, Justin, is that they believe so much in J.B. Bickerstaff as a head coach that he'll find the right combinations, he'll find the right lineups. And it's a 48-minute game, and, and even if Andre and Big O don't share the court for 18 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever the case may be, they'll find other ways um, to use those guys and, and try and help the team with different lineups and combinations. Uh, I think it's a tough fit, to be honest with you. Um, it would have been a really tough fit for Andre Drummond and Tristan Thompson, right? Um, I think some of the the questions about Okongwu are similar to what you have about Tristan Thompson and his offense um, and his style. So I I do think that's a tough fit, but but that's okay. Um, It doesn't have to fit perfectly right now, in part because it's hard to bank on Andre Drummond um, being a huge piece of this organization beyond this year.
0: Yeah, with extension talks being the way they are, it doesn't look like that's going to be agreed upon anytime soon. Um, that's kind of, that's another discussion for another day. We've Another thing we've <laughs> <laughs> gone in depth on here. But uh, I like the Big O nickname. I hope that's something that sticks, especially if he is in Cleveland.
2: Well, I think it'll stick because nobody knows how to pronounce his name. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you look at the name and you try it yourself and you probably could get away with it. I actually joked with somebody in the Cavs front office. I said, if you if you pick this dude, I'm screwed when it comes to game stories on a deadline. So please pick somebody else. Okoro's fine. I can spell that. You know, like, if you want to go Halliburton, I can do that. Patrick Williams, no problem. But if you start doing Denny Avdia and Onyeka Kongwu, I'm screwed when it comes to gamers on a deadline.
0: <laughs> All right, well, uh, we'll move on here to the number three prospect on your list, six seven. Wing out of Florida State, Devin Vassell. Um kind of somebody who seemed like one of the safer picks in this yeah. draft at some point, and recent events have thrown a, a major curveball into that equation. Uh, another guy who is um another potential really high level defender on and off ball. Um I think he needs to add a little bit of muscle. He's really thin right now, but he does have a lot of length and that wiry frame, you know, is beneficial as well. Um the, the, the selling point for him is just what is his shot going to look like because yeah. he's someone who's always had a high release and you know, I, I, I've seen some things saying that you know maybe he should shorten his release and we've seen the opposite of that as far as the video that I think has since been deleted I mean, it's still out oh, there it has.
2: yeah, it was deleted um, <laughs> quickly
0: <laughs> of the, the catapulted threes, which he did yeah. make by the way, but Raising a a lot of concern. Um, What do you make of a tweak like that in his shot? Okay, so I think one of the reasons, Justin, why it matters more
2: with Vassell than maybe somebody else is because he was an awful shooter in high school. Um, And it seemed like he had corrected that. I was talking to Florida State head coach Leonard Hamilton, and he said when he watched Devin in high school, he shot like 20% from three-point range or something like that. Now, some guys are just late bloomers, but when you have that bad reputation going into college, and then all of a sudden you become a 40% three-point shooter, you start to turn heads and people feel like you've corrected that flaw, and then you see this video and you're like, oh crap, is he reverting back to what he was in high school when he wasn't a Ballyhooed recruit because he shot 20% or something like that from three-point range. Um, it's really, really difficult to know why he did it, right? It's really difficult to know if this is his new shot moving forward or if he was just kind of like messing around in a shooting drill. You know, there there wasn't a lot of context to that sort of thing. And I've reached out to his agent. I've reached out to a lot of people. I talked to somebody with the calves. um, And according to the person that I talked to, um, around the NBA, the Cavs haven't met with Devin yet at this point in time. Maybe it does happen. There's a lot of time still before November 18th, but I'd want to know those answers, right? I would want to know those answers to be comfortable taking him. Um, in saying that, like, he still gives you a ton on the defensive end. Um, it's just if if you view him as a 3 and D prospect, you can't feel like the three part is missing Or something that you now have to rework. Um, And the people that I talk to in the NBA, if, if, if if that video is a sign of his shot being changed, then a team is going to spend this whole first year with him reworking that shot. And that could be complicated. And that could potentially change the evaluation. But there's a lot of other things that he does well.
0: That's true. Um, One thing that I've seen, you know, mentioned is, you know, Markel kind of had Markel Fultz had some last minute shot issues that just kind of came out of nowhere that obviously affected him greatly. I think one key difference there is that Markel Fultz was dealing with nerve damage, whereas we we don't know what happened here with Vassell. This could have very well just been him screwing around. So that's something that I kind of uh, that's not a comparison that I would use between you know these these two situations. Um, what do you think his, his ceiling is as a player without that jump shot? Is he, is he still a valuable, you know, this is somebody who I can also view as, especially now as somebody who might slip. If the Cavaliers were to trade down, maybe he is in that conversation in that, you know, uh-huh. Knicks-Wizards range in the draft. But is he worth it? Is he worth taking even in that range if he doesn't have the three? Which range? Five? The, or that that. I guess kind of even the five or, you know, in that Knicks-Wizards range. Well, I'll say this.
2: There are people that I've talked to that, that feel like five's too high for him to be in with um, because they wonder about his offense in general, and they wonder if he can be more than just a catch-and-shoot guy. Um, if he can start making plays in the pick-and-roll, if he can start being more of a playmaker in the half court, if he isn't just a spot-up guy, you know, all of a sudden, that starts to change the valuation. You start to raise the ceiling, especially with him offensively. Um, so that's that's how people, many people, view him to begin with. Uh, if you take away the three, man, I, I I think eight nine is probably too high. I think you're talking about um, probably back end of the lottery at that point in time. Um, because shooting is such a needed trait in today's NBA, um, and it's really, really hard to play that particular position without a reliable three ball.
0: Yeah, and obviously, like I said, I, I don't have all the information. But yeah, I
2: mean, nobody does. He, he, went, for, yeah, he
0: went from one of the safer picks, it seemed like, to one of the more uncertain picks just because of... You know, th- this new uncertainty around his shot Look, I mean, so. he
2: shot 41% from three in back to back years. He was in the 87th percentile in catch and shoot jumpers. Like, that's something that you felt like you could count on with him. um And that's why people were starting to use the comp of Robert Covington and Mikel Bridges and uh Wesley Matthews, those types, right? I I don't know that that one video changes the evaluation completely. I think it's hard to go that far. Um, But it raises more questions than what you had about him. I would say that.
0: That's a fair point. We'll move on here to the number four prospect on the list being Tyrese Halliburton, a 6'6 guard out of Iowa State. Um, I'll start with the... um, Generic Cavs question when it comes to drafting prospects. Another guard for this Cleveland team?
2: (laughs) I mean, I don't see it, honestly. I don't. Um, Look, there are people in the organization that really like Tyrese and think he's going to be a good player. And there's at least one member of the front office that has spoken about um, the possibility of turning this into Oklahoma City East, where you have the three guards that are a majority of your team. Now, they had Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder, and Shea Gilgis Alexander, and uh, the Cavs obviously don't have Chris Paul, but but that kind of setup because of the size, because of the passing, because of the athleticism and the shooting that Tyrese has. You know, there are people in the organization that are saying, like, we don't have a great passer. Uh, we feel like we have a great shooter in Dylan, but we haven't seen it, um, and we don't have size in our backcourt. Like, why can't we add somebody who checks those boxes, right? Um, I just think it's it's really, really difficult for, for the Cavs, in the position that they are, with all of the wing prospects, uh, for them to justify Halliburton after drafting Darius Garland and Colin Sexton.
0: And talking about Devin Vassell being, you know, at one point, one of the safer prospects in the draft. I kind of feel like Tyrese Halliburton fits into that mold as oh, well, yeah. as far as players who you know what he's going to be. You know he's going to be a, a contributing player who's going to be good on whatever team he goes to. I think he would fit in just fine in Cleveland. Again, it, there's certainly overlap, but you mentioned you know the the potential of three guard lineups, and you just look at the fact that he does have a skill set that you know is needed in the backcourt yep. as far as size and another playmaker. Um, he can play, I think, on and off the ball well. So I, I think you know he could he could fit into lineups really with any of the young guards already on this roster. You know, being y- you can make a lineup with him in it with you know any of Garland Sexton right. Porter, even Dante Exum, Dylan Windler, whoever. You know, he he fits in with all of those guys well. I just again another guard is is what raises <laughs> the eyebrows a little bit, especially when you have available wing prospects on the table who. I personally like more, again, I don't know what, you know, how they view him, maybe not as high as, as some of those guys, but yeah. I, I, I... <laughs> So the well, argument you... <laughs> that I made,
2: and, and I know this is hard, and, and I know people probably didn't want Halliburton to be on this list from me, but the argument that I made is that it's not solely about position. When you're talking about free agency, right, or you're talking about trades, or you're talking about the draft, It's about adding things you don't have to the roster. So if you take position out of it, Tyrese Halliburton brings three things that you do not have on this roster. Size in the backcourt, passing, and shooting. Like he would come in, Justin, he would come in and he would immediately be the best playmaker that the Cavs have. There's value in that. There's huge value in that. I think we saw last year, how much better the Cavs' offense functioned with somebody like Matthew De Now, I'm not trying to be critical of Darius because there were circumstances that worked against him as a rookie, and it's very, very difficult to start comparing an NBA champion and a veteran like Delhi to somebody like Darius, but I think it goes to show that somebody with that kind of style is really, really important and beneficial for this Cavs team, especially given the other personnel that they have on this roster. So when you can add skills to a roster that you don't already have, I don't know how you just shut yourself out to that idea.
0: And um, yeah, that, that is you know a completely good point. Again, you know, now you that's look at me talking. taking another guard, and it's what do you say? Now that's me talking, right? I, I think <laughs> the Cavs
2: internally yeah, yeah, would have a hard time yeah. getting to that conclusion, and I understand that as well. But for me personally, um, I would make. I would make the argument for him because I think he's really, really good for this team.
0: Yeah. I I think you, you can make the guard argument, but if you, if you do look at, you know, just what he brings to a team, I think he fits not only on the Cavs, but like I said, anywhere Depend, you know, regardless of what their roster looks like, I think he brings something important to every team. And especially you make a good point in the fact that he does bring things that this team doesn't have despite his position. Yep. We will move on to the bonus prospect that you had on your list, being Patrick Williams, a 6'8 forward out of Florida State. I would I would call him, as of right now, more of a power forward than a small forward. Obviously, the, the, the long-term hope is that he can play both positions. Another a really, really big guy at, at the forward position. Um, if he can get to that point where he can be a versatile defender all around, that's obviously a player that any team would love to have. But he is, I think, he, he is the youngest prospect in the draft, correct?
2: youngest college player in the draft.
0: Okay, okay. And somebody who is very, very raw on offense. Yes. Um, when, when you added him to this list, is this, again, in consideration at number five for you, or would this be another just guy who you like? Because it seems like that might be a bit of a reach there. So, like, someone underst- who, again, is an interesting prospect.
2: Yeah, I mean, I understand the bit of the reach thing, especially given some of the other prospects that could be available at five. Um, I just think this draft is so funky and weak overall that if you're going to take a swing on who you think is going to be the best player from this draft, I think he's the guy that you can take a swing on and maybe win that one. Um, And that doesn't mean right away, obviously, because there's a lot of work that needs to happen before um, he becomes that but he has elite size, elite strength, elite athleticism, and he has the potential to be a really, really impactful defender. Um, I mean, that's a lot to like in this kind of class. Um, And I think somebody with elite traits, um, that many elite traits, is worth taking a swing on. Even though his offense is, is raw and uh, defensively guarding the perimeter, he's not the greatest right now either.
0: Well, looking at somebody who you left off of your, your list, who has been rumored with the Cavs a lot, being Obi Toppin. Yeah. Obviously, I mean, the Cavaliers clearly at least have some level of interest in him. Um, you know, I mean, as far as generally he seems like another kind of riser in this draft. As far as somebody that a lot of teams like, even above the Cavs, would you rather, and this is completely hypothetical, but would you rather the Cavs take a Patrick Williams over an Obi Toppin in this draft at number five? Yes. Yes, (laughs) and I was told that I'm an
2: idiot. I mean, somebody, frankly, straight out called me an idiot for thinking that. Uh, And they said, look, if, if you're thinking of Patrick Williams that way, just take Obi. He's the same kind of player without the current questions. He's a lot safer at this point in time. And I said, look, I get it completely. Um, but, but that's just my stance. I, I don't know, Justin, if, if Obie is ever going to be able to guard at, at the level that you would want him to. Um, I asked somebody the other day, I said, look, what is Obi going to have to give you on offense in order to offset and feel good enough about what you're giving up on defense? And I think that is the biggest question that is really, really difficult to answer with him. Because obviously part of it has to do, what team does he go to, right? What, what kinds of players is he surrounded with? In this situation, with this personnel, like adding a guy like him, Is just going to highlight his flaws even more than some of these other places that he could go and I just I have a hard time buying into that
0: yeah he's he's entering you know a defensive kind of culture where there just is no defense looking at I mean that's that's not to you know talk bad about the Cavs it's just they don't have good defenders on this roster And you're just going to keep adding on to that pile of, you know, subpar defenders, especially for a team who wants to compete, you know, reportedly. I understand, you know, the, the concept of taking the best player available, and maybe you do believe that he has, you know, that winning impact right away, again, in the right situation. But in a situation like this, like, you, you need to have a team who can do more than score the ball on offense to win games. You have to be able to stop somebody on defense and... I just I'm kind of confused by you know the conflicting reports being you know oh the Cavs might take Obi Toppin and, and the Cavs want to accelerate their rebuild. I, I get taking a talent you know I, and I've said this before I I understand taking the best talent available yep. to an extent but when you have about as poor of a fit as possible being Obi Toppin again we've, we've highlighted the defensive concerns and you also look at the fact that he's going to be playing behind Kevin Love and Larry Nance Jr. and he's not really somebody who can play the five. And even if he does play some five, you know, Andre Drummond's probably going to be here. Maybe Tristan Thompson comes back. Maybe there's somebody else. It, that's not that they're not going to be able to find minutes for him, but he's not going to have you know unlimited freedom because there are guys that are going to play ahead of him. And you know, looking going back to just you know, best player available. I, I I think that that is a fair thing to say when you have somebody with a very very high upside, which I don't know that Obi Toppin does. I think he's going to be fine. I think he'll be a good player in the league, but I don't think he has that all-star potential really. I mean, you know, at least multi-time all-star potential. And I just don't know if it's worth, you know, going in the best player available direction with, you know, a group of players that might not have, you know, that upper tier level of ceiling.
2: I'm with you. I hear everything that you're saying. I've spent a lot of time talking with a lot of smart people that tell me I'm wrong on this. So I guess we'll see. Um, I think the, the people that support Obi would say that his offense is so polished and so good and so much what the NBA wants out of that position that you hope that um, what he gives up defensively and what J.B. Bickerstaff can scheme up defensively is, is going to, I don't want to say overshadow that or cancel that out, because I think that's the wrong way to say it, um, but make you feel good enough about the kind of impact that he can make. There are a lot of people that really, really like him, and they will say, Justin, the NBA is about getting buckets.
0: Yeah, and that's that's fair. And again, there, there's, a, there's a very real possibility that he's off the board by the time the Cavs even pick. I I could see a world where any of the top four teams, you know, might lean toward Dolby Toppin. Now I'm not saying maybe maybe not Charlotte, you know. I, yeah, I think they kind of have Charlotte. enough guys at power forward, but I could see. I'm not, I don't think it'll happen, but I could see a world where Minnesota takes him at one. I could see a world where Golden State takes him at two, just because again, he is a very polished offensive player, and I think in a situation like that he could be effective. I think the Bulls could consider him, you know, again, especially if maybe they don't like Laurie Markin as much as other other people around. You yeah. know, I mean, he had a suspect year. So I, 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 I believe in him as a player as far as, you know, yeah, he can be a contributor on a team. I just don't think it's going to be at that, you know, put, maybe not at that put a team over the top level. And when the fit is as horrible and is about as bad as it can get for him, I just... I'm pretty much completely out on him. No, I I did say, what were you saying?
2: I I talked to his head coach at Dayton, Anthony Grant, the other day for a big piece that I'm working on. And and one of the questions that I asked him, and he was like, you know what, Chris, I don't know how to answer this. I I said, look, coach, so much about the NBA is fit and uh, what situation these young guys go to. Um, there are so many career trajectories that, that we could go back to and say, it would have been different had this happened, right? Or had he been drafted to this particular situation? So I said, coach, based on what you know about the NBA, because Anthony Grant was in the NBA, um, he coached in the NBA and, and based on what you know about Obi, what situation is best for him? That's what I wanted to know, um, and he didn't know how to answer that question. He said he's going to leave it up to every team that's evaluating to figure that out. And I think that's a fair response. But, but I think in the case of Obi, a lot of his success, uh, both early and in his career, I think is going to be tied to situation and organization that drafts him and the kinds of expectations and the kinds of players that are surrounding him.
0: I'm, I'm with you on that. And again, I just... I don't see Cleveland as the place that, you know, he's being put in a position to succeed. We'll get to one more prospect here that I wanted to talk about real quick that was also off of your board. Another guy who is maybe in play for the Cavs at number five being Denny Evdia. Um, Somebody who I'm obviously not as low on as Obi Toppin. um, What do you think of Denny? And is he someone who kind of similar to Toppin you're just kind of out on at this point?
2: I'm not out on him. I just like the other options better, if that makes sense. Okay. Like, like yeah. a lot of people saw that, and they're like, oh, you don't like Denny. Um, so this is the hard thing. Like, b- beyond Patrick Williams, the-, the guys that I listed, I don't see a path to, like, big-time failure. Um, Denny frightens me from that standpoint, personally. Um I could see the Cavs taking him at five and him never being more than like a seventh or eighth man in a playoff rotation. Now, is that enough? I guess that's up to everybody to determine for themselves. Um, But I see Isaac Okoro as potentially being more than that. And this doesn't mean that those other guys don't have downside. They do. I just don't see it as much downside as somebody like Denny. Um, Look, the level of competition I wonder about, he didn't get a ton of minutes in the Euro League. There are a lot of reasons for that. He was on a veteran-laden team with uh, a bunch of guys with overseas experience, and he was so young. Uh, they were trying to compete for a championship. They don't give big minutes to those kinds of players unless they're Luca, and nobody's Luca Luka's one of one. Um, so level of competition I wonder about, right? Like... Um, yeah. I wonder about his shot. He shot 50% from the free throw line. Are you kidding me? Yeah, like, that's
0: that's a red flag. <laughs>
2: that's a huge red flag. Um, there are some people that I talk to that feel like he's got to tweak his shot a little bit in terms of the release. And there are other people that feel like he doesn't shoot with confidence because he's not confident in his shot. Um, that worries me a little bit, too. And, Justin, I know that the NBA is about positionless basketball right now. Um but, but I don't think he has a position. Like, I don't... He is,
0: he... Yeah, he's stuck in that between 3-4 kind of range. I'm with you there. Right,
2: I don't know that he is uh, skilled enough and good enough to defend threes, even though he can probably do that offensively because of his playmaking ability. And I don't think he's big enough and strong enough to handle four, so he's like in between and not in the good way in between. Sometimes in between is a good thing and you're like, oh, I'll just play him at the two, the three or the four. But I think he's in the bad way in between. And and that worries me, especially when we're talking about the number five pick. But I know the Cavs like him.
0: Yeah, but when you look at, you know, oh, he can play, you know, the three or the four. That, that's sudden a positive note when you can guard the three and the four yes. or the two or whatever. Denny, you have questions about, you know, who is he going to guard yeah. again because... And maybe he maybe it's not as big of a deal, but, you know, maybe he doesn't have the foot speed to, to right. keep up with perimeter players, and maybe he... I mean, I don't know if he's big enough. Maybe he'll get stronger to, you know, go up against some bigger fours. Now, I think, you know, with the way that the power forward position is, I think he could still guard most players in that position, but there are always outliers, and I, I do think that he could struggle there as well. I think just that... That potential to add a good point forward who can just be a playmaker at that position is valuable, yep. and I, I I would be fine, personally, if the Cavs drafted Abdiya. Um, again, I think there are guys who I would rather have. Okoro is still, like I said, at the top of my list. I would rather have an Okongwu. Um, but overall, I, I'm not super down on Denny Abdiya. I think, also with his shot, like... It, it doesn't fall in obviously the the free throw percentages are alarming, but when you watch him shoot, it doesn't look like that bad of a shot, I like I agree, I think it is more of a confidence thing. I don't think that there's any tweaks that are gonna have to really be made there, like I think it looks pretty fluid, it just doesn't go in so uh, overall, he seems like a pretty confident kid, you know I mean, he kind of plays with that kind of confidence yeah. and swagger, but I don't know it's 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 kind of confusing with that for me, but overall. Um, any final thoughts over any of these prospects, or just any any decisions for the Cavs before we move on to some other things here? No,
2: I don't think so. The thing that I always tell people, though, um, and the Cavs have shown this over their last two drafts, um, it, it's definitely hard to predict what they're going to do at five because there are so many moving parts in front of them. But but I think it's important to remember that when they're drafting somebody, they're not just drafting a skill set, they're drafting a person, Um, and that matters to them. Like, I might talk about fit not mattering in terms of on-court fit, but off-court fit matters deeply. And if Colin Sexton didn't have the workout that he had in 2018, and if he wasn't the kind of person that he is with a relentless determination and a great work ethic and a positive attitude, I don't think he would have been the pick in 2018. Um, So part of the allure of Obi Toppin is that he is arguably the best kid in this draft, like best person in this draft. Mm -hmm. Um, And that matters, especially to a team like the Cavs that are so focused on trying to change the culture and bringing the right people into this organization as much as they're bringing a skill set.
0: I think O'Coral can be one of those guys Without too. Again, just no to somebody who, yes, yeah, just a relentless worker. And again, the argument I would make is that <laughs> he fits better. But um, <laughs> I, I do understand completely what you're saying, as far as and that that is a that that is something that matters. That's why Lamelo Ball might slip. You know, he's been reportedly terrible in his in his interviews. I mean, he was terrible and at I,
2: the combine. I can tell you that much. Who y- oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> Worst interview that I was ever part of, honestly. Really? Yes. <laughs> I sent it to multiple executives in the NBA, and they were alarmed.
0: Yeah, I. And I, I've always kind. Of, there've always been questions with him as a, as far as his character. I feel like you know, dating back to, you know, what what he was doing with Ilawara. You know, there were kind of concerns about you know, him just not caring about his teammates at all, and just not caring about the organization at all, and just. Overall, I think the environment that he's grown up into, just always being the center of attention everywhere he's gone, I, th- th- there are definite concerns there for me with Lamella Ball. But um, moving on to some other stuff, we were talking a little bit about earlier, the you know talking about you know could a guy like Okoro be a starter for this team? We do have some some questions over when the season is going to start. Um, the, originally, it kind of seemed like maybe it would be this Christmas time being December 22nd, um, probably a December 1st training camp start. That would be a 72-game season, roughly ending around July 22nd, which would be when a normal season would end around. And you would get Christmas games in that scenario. The spot that the players seem to prefer would be January 18th, which is, again, around MLK Day. And that would be a 60-game season with around a August 21st end. Another thing we've discussed in the pod plenty. But I want to know, what what are your opinions here? What would you rather see as far as the start time?
2: Well, here's the thing. Um, I feel like when you feel like you've come up with a solution of something that makes sense, there is a yeah but attached to it, every single one of them. And I don't know that there's a perfect solution here for the NBA or the players. Um, So me personally, I would want the start that allows the NBA to get back on the previous schedule. And I think there are um, enough people around the league, both uh, in the league office, uh, in front offices, um, and among the players that want the same. Uh, I think there was conversation for a number of years about whether it made sense to change the NBA schedule And whether starting a season on Christmas full time made a lot of sense. And in a roundabout way, the pandemic allowed the NBA to experiment with that sort of thing. And it allowed the NBA to get the kind of answers that they would probably need. And I think everybody in the league realizes that um, finishing the season beyond June, July is bad for everybody involved.
0: (laughs) Yeah, looking at again, interfering with the football season. And I think part of what interfered this season is that every sport was coming back at the same time, so obviously teams had so many options. But I definitely think that they should be looking to get back on schedule. And another thing that I will continue to say is that, yes, there are teams that will be having a short break. Again, the teams who made deep runs in the, bu- in the bubble are, you know, that they have a very limited time to get ready for this next season. And right. it complicates with the draft because sure. you don't have that much time to get these these players acclimated to your team. But there are so many teams. There are obviously the teams that didn't go to the bubble like the Cavs who have been ready to play for months. Yep. You have teams who left the bubble early. You have teams who didn't make the playoffs, who left the playoffs early. They're ready to start. Overall, I think you look at the, again, the from the financial aspect of the NBA, the fact that you can get Christmas games and that you can get more games – and get back on a schedule, and you have the Olympics coming up this summer, which, you know, you got to hope that you can get players to play in. Obviously, that's that's down the road. We don't know what's going to happen with that players exactly. Players want to play in that,
2: provided it's safe and healthy for them to. Uh, players want to be part of the Olympics, especially on this team with Pop.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. It's something that that they want to do, and I, it, it's going to be a lot more difficult if you're going to be starting in January. Like again, you know, I think... You might see more players sit out than normal just because, you know, you're just going to be finishing up, all, you know, especially look at, say a team like the Lakers makes another deep playoff run and you have LeBron and AD who, you know, had a short off season and then go on another deep playoff run and then they're going to go to the Olympics and then they have another, you know, season starting up. Guys like that might sit out. But overall, I really think that I, I feel like this is going to end up being the, situ- the, the situation that, happens. And I get the players wanting to play less games. I get them wanting to have a longer offseason. But overall, I, I I expect the NBA to stay with their December 22nd start date. And I think personally, I want Christmas games too. I don't know <laughs> what I'm going to do on Christmas if I don't have NBA to watch. So Well, the other thing that the NBA there. has
2: to worry about, it has dominated Christmas for so many years. Um, if it does not start on Christmas... It opens the door for another sports league, the NFL, by the way, uh, to take over Christmas.
0: Yeah, so and that's another. Yeah, and I think again the NBA clearly wants this. It's again the players that they're, yep. they're they're arguing with on this. Well, I shouldn't say arguing, but that
2: negotiating.
0: You know, the, yeah, negotiating with. But in the end, I just I don't see. I, I think that there are too many incentives to start the season earlier. That's just what I expect to happen. So again, it will be a rush and it'll be a wild off season just because everything is so condensed. But I think just to get the league back to where they need to be, this is what needs to happen at this point. Um, one last thing to kind of get into before we get out of here: um, When are these city jerseys going to get leaked for the Cavs? We've been seeing them get leaked on Twitter here, you know, for a while now. Um, a bunch of other teams. Do you have high expectations for the Cavs? Do you have low? I don't know what you've thought of their their jersey choices as of late the past few years since they've switched over to Nike. Yeah. But are you you excited to see what they have for a city jersey this year?
2: Well, yes, I am. Um, I think since they switched to Nike, they've been better. Um, And the people that I have talked to that have seen them seem to really like them. Um, I don't think they're going to leak them. They don't want to leak them. They have something planned in unveiling them. Uh, But if they get leaked, they get leaked. Like, they can't control that. Sometimes it just happens. Mm -hmm. But I'm very, very interested to see what they do and and what theme they go with this year. Um, Because every single year there's been a theme. You know, last year it was the 50th anniversary and they honored teams from the 70s and the 80s and they had little touches like that throughout the jersey that kind of... Um, hit on every single era that you would want right uh as long as they don't plaster the land on the front and make them gray and put a guitar on them i think i'm cool
0: (laughs) well another thing i wanted to talk to you about was you know just looking at some of these past jerseys yeah what do you think of the jersey turnover that we've seen over you know these past few seasons as far as you know having a new city edition jersey every year and then at the end of the season it's gone we saw at one point, they had the earned jerseys, which were around for two minutes, and then they were gone. Yeah. This season, we had the throwbacks, which it's not looking like they're, those are going to be back. Yeah. Personally, like, yes, there are some bad jerseys, and I, I I like coming out with new ones, but at the same time, I wish they would keep some of these old jerseys as well. And if they were to bring back some older jerseys, I would be, I would be okay with not having a new City jersey every year. <laughs> because... I like some of these old jerseys. Like I know. you know, we talk about last year's City jersey. Like I I bought a Kevin Love jersey. Nice. You know, and like I like that jersey, but I don't know if I'm ever gonna see him play in it again. Right. So I'm kinda like, you know, did I really should I have gotten that or not?
2: Well it makes it so, more special if you only see it for a handful of games, right? That's part of it. I think I guess that's part of it as well. I think the other part of it is everybody wants new. Or a majority of people want new, and the more new you can put in their face the more they're apt to purchase it. So I think it makes sense that they keep doing these new um, city jerseys because they, they seem to do really, really well when they're released. Um, and I, I think from what I've heard about these ones that are coming up, I think these will do well um, also. They're supposed to be very Cleveland centric. Um, they're supposed to be a storyline and a theme attached to them. Um, I've heard there's a historical element, uh, so the sense that I get is that uh, they'll be well received.
0: All right. Well, overall, it's not like I'm not looking forward to the New Jerseys. I I complain about it a little bit. You know, as but long as they overall, keep the black
2: ones, that's that's what matters most. I yes, think to this yes, organization. Yes. Keep the black
0: ones. Keep the black ones yeah. as well. Yeah. But um, with that, uh, we'll we'll get out of here. We'll wrap this up. Chris, thank you so much for coming on, man. This really was this was a lot of fun for me to do. I'm, I'm super happy to, to have you on here. You got it, man. I appreciate the invite. Anytime. Um, everybody out there, thank you so much for listening. Um, if you enjoyed, subscribe, um, rate and review on iTunes, do all that fun stuff, and uh, we'll see you next time.
1: If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod but aren't sure where to start, the team at My Podcast Manager can help. Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great, and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals, visit MyPodcastManager.com to get started.
0: Thank you for listening to Cavalier Central. Be on the lookout for another episode coming soon.